infants and fetuses in the womb. Mm -hmm. They're found in all parts of the world now. And we basically did an experiment on the world in a mass way, but didn't really think about the externalities. And we're just ramping up. You know, there's no plan for after. It's just hopefully recycled, but recycling as we know it is not working. And a lot of communities in other parts of the world then burn the plastic or burn the waste after it has been, you know, used, which creates another environmental impact and detriment. And it's just on all parts of this, it's unnecessary and horrible for the environment and public health. Yeah, there are so many things to be said here. I mean, (laughs) a part of the reason why we're reckoning with this problem right now and why it's showing up in the media so much is because in 2018, China stopped accepting our plastic waste. So all of the plastic that, you know, we thought was being recycled was really just being shipped to China. And now we have to kind of reckon with that and deal with all this plastic waste. And that's why there's kind of this renewed reckoning and we have to really face the waste that we're producing. And I think where Wonderful can come in, and it's been a lot of, I think, needed talk around recycling or upcycling plastic, using it for other things after it's had its first use. But to really reduce plastic, there just aren't market solutions for reduction. It's just kind of, I think, a little antithetical to our current system. And Wonderful can give that. There are very few technologies that truly reduce production of a you know, finite material. Yeah, reduce demand for yeah. it in kind of a systematic way. I mean, plastic's great, you know, hard plastic, plastic's durable. It's an amazing material for specific, you know, long-lasting uses. But the idea that when we need just for a few minutes to be held in it is just kind of ridiculous. And I think people on some level understand that. And that's where this upcry is coming from. Yeah. Wonderful is a startup right now, but I'd love to talk about what the big picture would look like if refilling stations like yours were widely adopted. How would that look for people's day-to-day lives? Good question. Thank you. (laughs) So we imagine two models of the Wonderfill out in the world. The first works kind of like a vending machine. So, you know, you'll have Wonderfill refill stations at the airport or at hotels or universities where you just walk up, swipe your card, fill your bottles, and then Wonderfill charges your card automatically and you can walk away and, you know, it's really, really easy to just refill your bottles whenever you need to. And then the second use that we see for Wonderfill is kind of transforming the the shampoo aisle in grocery stores to yeah. just look kind of like a tap wall, basically. Yeah, like a big pour room at a, at a bar. Yeah, so that people can just walk up and refill their bottles and it's fully integrated into their daily shopping experience and we're really in the habit of refilling the same bottle every time we run out of shampoo, conditioner, olive oil, vinegar, honey, that sort of thing. Yeah, and we very much hope for these two models to be an everyday part of people's lives. It's just it's just, it's just how you do things, you know, it makes perfect sense. If folks are interested in learning more, what's the best way for them to do that? They should visit our website, which is www.wonderfill.world. They can sign up for our newsletter where we send updates on where we're launching and what we're up to. And then they can follow us on Instagram, which is wonderful.dispensers. We post a lot of updates there too. Yeah, and if there's a public space or university or grocery store that you think Wonderful will be great at, become an advocate, reach out to us, reach out to the store. We just need passionate people to really like put their foot forward and say they want this. It's how we're, the only thing that's ever changed the world, really. Yeah, you can email us to hello at wonderful.world. Um, if you represent a brand or a grocery store or university that is interested in refill 
station. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I think that the world knows that we need to change pretty soon. And I think there's a lot of push on the citizen or even consumer end, if you want to call it that, to do something. And I think you can see that in the success of greenwashing campaigns. There's a reason why they're everywhere. People really want their consumer dollars to mean something, to do something, and it's admirable. But there's just no space for that. And the technological world, I mean, we have flying cars now, but we don't have that tech in what we need every day, at the grocery store, at the market. So I think Wonderful can fill that gap. That was my conversation with Wonderful creators Amelia Eichel and Shiloh Sachs about their innovative solution to curb consumers' plastic waste. They'll be showcasing their Wonderful dispenser at the Alberta market on August 28th and 29th, where people can fill their own reusable bottle with locally made soap and hand sanitizer to take home. Find links related to this story on our website, kboo.fm. This has been KBU News In-Depth. I'm Althea Billings. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Allen Derry, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Doc Griggs, and I'm a community medicine doctor and health literacy expert. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician, that's me, and a health literacy and communications expert, that's me, talk about what you need to know about COVID-19. You can find more information about this show and our other daily live updates and Q&A show at noisefiltershow.com. So let's get started. Nebraskan counties no longer reporting COVID data. In June, Nebraska stopped uploading data to the state COVID dashboard. Now the state's county health officials cannot publish COVID-19 data at all. According to the Lincoln Journal Star, this is because of a state law that prohibits releasing data on communicable diseases that could reveal the identity of any individuals involved. While Nebraska does not have a set benchmark for this, federal safe harbor laws say that any county with fewer than 20,000 residents cannot publish this information. Throughout most of the pandemic, the law was temporarily overwritten by an executive order, but this expired in early August. And because 76 of the state's 93 counties have fewer than 20,000 residents, most of the state can no longer report COVID data at all. This is even affecting counties that do not meet the population benchmark. Some health districts that can cover multiple counties are only able to report on one or few of them. And because of this, one health district had to stop publishing its COVID risk dial. While the state's 17 largest counties make up more than three quarters of the Nebraskan population, these unrecorded rural counties have lower vaccination rates and are at a higher risk for dangerous outbreaks. While this data could be vital to the state's pandemic response, no officials in Nebraska have come out with a plan to reinstate the executive order. Instead, the state will begin releasing a weekly COVID report through its Department of Health and Human Services, giving some information about cases, hospitalizations, and vaccination rates. Investigating Vaccine Hesitancy The COVID-19 vaccines are on their way to saving millions of lives globally, but for some, the vaccines create a sense of uncertainty. 
New research from the International Journal of Public Health has investigated that the reasons behind vaccine hesitancy by looking at the relationship between trust and scientists, medical professionals, and government organizations with perceptions of vaccine safety and effectiveness. Vaccine hesitancy is defined as the delayed acceptance or refusal to take a vaccine. A year before the pandemic, vaccine hesitancy was considered among the top 10 global health threats. But the influence of an anti-vaccine movement and the spread of misinformation online means that an effective vaccine program will struggle to be fully employed if large numbers of people refuse the vaccine. In the U.S., 93 million people eligible for vaccines remain unvaccinated, which is concerning given the potential for spikes in COVID-19 cases and the current spread of the Delta variant and the possibility of more mutations and variants occurring. Through conducting an online research in 17 countries across five global regions between May and June of 2020, the research assesses confidence in public health organizations and key experts and leaders and whether that impacts vaccine hesitancy. When asked if they would take a free COVID-19 vaccine, if it was made available to them, just under half the respondents said either no or maybe. And the study found that older adults age 70 and above were less likely to be hesitant about vaccines. Across the country's confidence in public health organizations in regard to the handling of the pandemic and information about viruses is relatively high at the international level, with a large majority of respondents expressing some degree of confidence in the World Health Organization. That confidence was even higher in most territories toward health organizations at the national and local level. Levels of trust in leaders and experts varied Although almost all reported high trust levels in medical professionals and scientists, many respondents expressed a lack of trust in political and religious leaders. Overall confidence in the WHO and public health organizations at all levels combined with trust in domestic or local government scientists and health professionals leads to lower rates of vaccine hesitancy. Public health campaigns may also inspire people to take the vaccine of their own accord. Writing in the Financial Times, Scott Radson, a community health lecturer at the City University at New York's Public Health School and recent senior fellow at Harvard Kennedy School, discusses vaccine hesitancy. He argues that boosting vaccine uptake is a case of building vaccine confidence rather than blaming or shaming people for vaccine hesitancy, while also communicating to people that vaccination is the social norm. According to the New York Times, unvaccinated people tend to be split into two camps, those who adamantly refuse the vaccine and those who are still on the fence about getting vaccinated or are waiting a while longer. The high proportion of people who answered maybe when asked about free vaccines in the survey by the International Journal of Public Health at the earlier stage of the pandemic confirms this idea and suggests that many people could be swayed by investing in public health campaigns advocating for vaccine uptake. Vaccine hesitancy and uptake has been altering globally. In France, President Macron's announcement that a COVID vaccine passport would be needed for hospitality services and transport led to over 2 million vaccine appointments being booked online. But the mandatory vaccine mandates came with their own struggles, as do mandatory mask mandates, as mass protests also erupted in response to the announcement. In the UK, vaccine hesitancy among younger people is also shifting. According to the Office of National Statistics, vaccine hesitancy has almost halved amongst young people in the age 18 to 21 group. 
many young people are taking this opportunity to better protect themselves from COVID-19. And in the last few weeks, vaccine availability for 16 to 17 year olds has also been announced. Vaccine hesitancy is constantly shifting and higher vaccine rates are promising when considering fear surrounding vaccines last year. Although large proportions remain unvaccinated and refuse to, encouraging those who are unsure and could be swayed to get vaccinated is essential to saving lives, reducing COVID-19 transmission, and to avoid further mutations of the virus. This new virus is a good thing. After having experienced almost two years of a deadly global pandemic caused by a virus, it is very difficult to imagine a scenario where viruses might be useful. However, scientists have discovered a virus that may be beneficial to humans. According to BBC News, scientists working at the Institute of Food Research in Colney, England, said that the Colney virus could potentially treat deadly Clostridium difficile infections. This is also known as C. diff. C. diff bacteria infects the bowel most commonly during a course of antibiotics, which can cause diarrhea, inflammation, and fever. The bacteria has been a major issue for hospitals around the world, and it is hoped that the colony virus would form part of the treatments to combat C. diff after future research is done. Named after a very small village with a population of only 120 people, the colony virus is a bacteriophage. That's a type of virus that infects bacteria and it is also known as a bacteria eater. Phages exist and reproduce by injecting their genetic material into bacteria and using the host's own machinery to construct new viruses inside the cell. They then release enzymes called endolysins that destroy the bacteria cell wall which now releases the new viruses. Most importantly, colony virus bacteriophage doesn't affect other bacterial species that commonly make up the human gut microbiome. Researchers say that the colony virus could potentially save the lives of so many people affected by C. diff infections. If further research continues to prove that the colony virus is beneficial to humans, this is one virus that I hope will stick around. Just as a reminder that COVID-19 and the human immunodeficiency virus do share the same risk factors. Doc Griggs. Thanks for listening to the Noise Filter Daily Podcast. Remember, get checked, get fit, get moving. And remember to get some rest to boost your immune system. And Doc. Protect yourself and others by staying home and please wear masks when you go outside. Remember, health is a human right.
90.7 FM and streaming online at kboo.fm. Hi, I'm Phil G. I'm one of the original hosts of KBOO's Grateful Dead and Friends. We're on from noon to two on Saturdays.